Well, as we've kind of talked about, this is a, a, a special morning, a special time. Um, Michael, I'm, again, I'm going to let him kind of introduce his wife, and he's got these two little precious girls that are uh, been running around um, with Easton over the last couple of nights, and uh, I'll just say that I've really enjoyed the opportunity to be able to talk with Michael over this process, and as we've kind of gone on this journey together, um, it's, been a, it's been a neat time. And it's been a special opportunity for us to, to share some life together. And then when they've come out, we've been able to spend time over the weekend. And, and I'm excited about what God has. I don't always know what God's plans are, but I trust his plans. And so I'm excited. I think he did a great job during worship, and I know he's going to do a great job also sharing the word with us this morning. So, Michael, I know this is a long day. I know you're going to need a nap maybe this afternoon, um, but please come on up. Man, we love to hear what you, God's placed on your heart for us this morning. So if you would, please welcome Michael Campbell as he comes to lead us in the Word. There I am. Amen. Hey, one more time, can we give another round of applause for the worship team, please? Great job. Great job, everybody. Man, that was great. All of you guys did so good. Just brought us right in. Praise the Lord. I want to start by thanking Pastor Aaron and the board. You guys need to understand that you are so blessed with your pastor, your shepherd, and the board as a team looking out, seeking the Lord's heart for this fellowship. And I just, want, I just want you to know that this process has been incredible for us. It's been very enriching and life-giving. You said it, life-giving. It's, it's actually generated a blessing to us. We're being considered as the, as the worship slash youth pastor for this fellowship, for the position that God put on the board and pastor's heart to make an avail about this church. And it has not been a grilling and, uh, and a harsh process at all. It's been the very opposite. They have, they have prioritized our well-being at every step. And, and we are just so blessed and honored and thankful. Can we please give a round of applause for Pastor and the board? <laughs> See if I can get myself together up here. That was a delightful time in the presence of the Lord. And sometimes... My head just stays there, and it's, it's hard to transition, but um, I, will, I will go ahead and bring up the first slide, um, give you the title of the message. Guess what? Jesus Christ is the solution to every problem. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's called the gospel for a reason. The word gospel means good news, and there's your good news, folks, that Jesus Christ is the solution to every problem. That's good news. And I was going to start today by saying that sometimes we feel like it takes great discernment and skill to be problem finders, and to point out issues in our culture, with our economy, in our families, in other people. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me uh, I was having a conversation with somebody 
who is a, who is a very critical person. And it's, it's sometimes you go up and say, well, how's it going today? How you doing? And you know these kind of folks, right? It's, oh, well, my shoulder really hurts. And uh, stuff at work's been real tough. And, and you go, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And you try to steer the conversation in a positive direction, and it's literally impossible. And the Lord whispered to me that it takes no skill to point out problems all the time. Where the skill is required is to recognize the solution to the problems. That's where the skill is. I was going to start by saying that true discernment is to recognize in the spirit the solution that's already been provided for every problem that exists. However, however, it's important that we acknowledge that there are many problems that do require great skill to discover and to diagnose. You know? It's like uh, Josh is an automotive guy and we've been using automotive analogies, but if you get a flat tire, it's pretty obvious what's wrong. You know? Wouldn't you love if, you're, if, you're, if you got a blowout and, and I'll be the guy that walks up and goes, well, there's your problem right there. I know what's wrong. Ain't got no gas in it. And you go, yeah, thanks, thanks, man. I, I know. I can see that. But if it's an electrical issue and you have no clue what's going on, it requires a great, and he's an excellent, he's a, he's a skilled diagnostic tech. It takes a great level of skill and discernment in order to, in order to, to find what's really going on. And you see, it's a metaphor for our hearts, right? So there is a place. And I just, I, wanna, I want to be gentle. And please understand, we're all going through stuff. I, I got a, uh, it was such a blessing to connect with Zach and Wendy last night. We are all going through stuff, and it's always more than you think. Everyone in this room, okay? And we have gone through things that are, are, are harder than we can even imagine. So I don't want to make light of those challenges, of, those, of that pain, and of those problems. Those are very real, and the Lord is, is brokenhearted and very concerned about those things. And it re there really is a place, there really is a place of needing help sometimes, figuring out what's really wrong. And praise the Lord, I didn't introduce my wife yet. It's my beautiful bride, Jessica. She just got through her first trimester for pregnant with our third baby, and she get, she's incredible. But praise the Lord, that's why God gave me a wife, to help discover all my issues. You know? It's like, I go hunky-dory, things are going along just fine, and then the Holy Spirit says to me in my wife's voice, you know, you're acting just like your father. And I go, I'm going to go to the shop. And I make my way over to my workspace. And uh, I'm going to go remodel the bathroom. W one minute. And I, and I close the door behind myself and just go Tasmanian devil on the subfloor in my bathroom. <laughs> She's like, I, I, and I come out calm. And I say, hey, sweetheart, thanks for helping me see that. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm sorry about that please forgive me, and I'm committed not to doing that anymore. Will you please help me not 
stumble in that way anymore. She goes, wow, what were you doing in there? I thought the whole house was going to fall down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, uh, and there are issues that we, that we can help find. The problem becomes, as Christians, we can become sin hunters. We can think that, uh, you know, it's really easy. I know for me, how easy is it? How much easier is it for me to see your problems than my own, right? That's the problem. Jesus, we know what the Lord said, right? Why would you pull a speck out of your brother's eye when you're walking around with a log in your own? There's not a, you know, the Lord doesn't want that. He wants us to first remove the log. So here I am walking around with a plank, you know, Pastor Aaron was, was uh, asking me, Michael, what is, uh, what's one of your biggest weaknesses? And I said, oh, that's easy. I know it's that I don't listen to my wife enough. And then I said, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm honest, the biggest weakness is probably the one I'm unaware of. And uh, that's how we can help each other find our weaknesses. But it requires great skill and gentleness to point out the weakness in somebody else. And I'm so much better at seeing what's wrong with you than seeing what's wrong with me. Uh, I recently heard it said, every time you point your finger, right, you got four more pointing right back at you. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not sin hunters. It's like, sin hunters coming to a theater near you this Sunday. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Jesus loves you, now shape up. You know, and then you're like, hey, where's everybody going? Hey, don't, don't forsake the assembly, guys, come on back. We wonder like, oh, I'm just here to help you. And really in my attempt to help someone through their, their problems and their weaknesses, I end up causing more damage because I don't do it with a spirit of gentleness, right? If any of you has a brother caught in an error, turn him away in a spirit of gentleness lest you fall into a worse thing. And uh, on our drive out here, we, we drove out from Kentucky. It's a 20-hour drive. We did it in two days. And uh, we stopped at a gas station. And I, I glance over, and there's a couple of dudes with a broken-down car. And uh, one of the guys has got this... this uh, this pickup truck, and his is a, the, the broken down vehicle was an SUV. But you know, they're new, they're new vehicles. And they're, the thing's like halfway in the lane and they gotta pull it up into the, into the gas station. And I notice, oh man, it looks like they're gonna try to push that SUV with the bumper of that truck. And I just couldn't stand there and watch them do that. Like I, I run over and flag them down and go, hey man, let's just push this thing. You know, and I, I'm looking down, he's like, oh, there's, there's metal back there, it'll be okay. And I'm like, yeah, there's metal behind six inches of plastic on each of these bumpers, right? And uh, I go, come on, let's push this thing. So, so we push it, you know, and we gingerly get it out of the road. I mean, the truck itself was a plastic bumper, the SUV, you know what was about to happen if they try to push one car with the other. And I thought, that's exactly like what we do when we try to help each other through our weaknesses and our challenges, right? It's like, I'm coming to help you, right, with my plastic bumper on, on yours, and, I, and I'm going to come. And, and what I mean to do to 
help you right now is actually going to wound you deeply and it's going to crack mine too. I'm going to get wounded in the process. So anyway, that's all just free. That was all just preface to the fact that Jesus Christ really is the solution to every problem. So you can see, I, I kind of shared with you my way of going about it. So now let's, let's look into the way that Jesus goes about being the solution to all of our problems. We're going to draw from the, the text from um, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And I'll just read a, a large amount of it. If you guys are following along in your scriptures, feel free to put a finger or a bookmark on Genesis chapter 3 because we're going to be jumping over there as well. Romans 3, verse 21. I still hear pages, so I will wait for you guys. Bless you for bringing your Bibles that we would look into the perfect word of God. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Remember that word, revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through what? Faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Boy, there's the problem, isn't it? All have sinned. Being justified freely by His grace through the, redemp the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody say, in Christ. In Christ. Come on. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, say through faith. Come on, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray, you guys. Lord, we honor you today. Father, please bless the speaker today that he would be able to keep his thoughts clear and concise and be able to impart a, a blessing, impart something to your precious people, God, that would bring a healing to areas of, of injury, God, that would bring a strengthening to any weaknesses, God, and that would bring an encouraging word, an encouragement that they, in any places where, where they have been discouraged and courage has been taken, I pray, God, that there would be an encouraging by your spirit and your word. God, we know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that to look into scripture is to look into the very face of Jesus and that you are the living embodiment of the word of God. That Jesus, you are perfect theology and it's in Christ that the entirety of the gospel story and the kingdom of God is manifest. That we would abide in you, Lord Jesus. Like you taught us about remaining 
in the true vine, that we would be in Christ, one with you, one with the Father, and as well, one with one another, God, that with you at the center, God, we would be, we would be knit together as your body, Lord. Just continue to bless us to grow in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's the problem that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin equals death, doesn't it? And separation from God. That's the problem. We were hopeless to reconcile. The reconciliation was impossible. And you mentioned, you, you heard me mention about how I reconcile with Jessica. For a long time, I thought that the two most important words in my marriage were, you're right, and also, I'm sorry. And I learned that I'm sorry doesn't really cut it, does it? That I keep doing the same thing that hurts you, and I'm sorry, please forgive me. You're, you're Christian, so you kind of have to. But the I'm sorry is basically just an acknowledgement that I regret what I did. And it's, it's like, she feels the same way. Yeah, I regret what you did too. And it's nice that you're sorry for what you did, but what are we going to do about it? And that's the reconciliation of Christ. There's more to it than to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. That's very important to acknowledge that I've done something that, uh, that I'm sorry for. Super important. We know that uh, the love of God is unconditional. And I, I, have an, I have the heart of an evangelist. I, I carry a burden for the people that I encounter. And I, and I really do, it's important to me to highlight the love of God in Christ Jesus, that Jesus loves you, amen. And the love of God is unconditional, but the grace of God and the mercy of God, okay, those are conditional. I know that's, that might be a jarring statement, but, uh, but uh, the, truth, the truth about God's mercy, I can't extend mercy for something that you've not acknowledged is wrong. You understand? I can't apply forgiveness to something that you're not sorry for. That's why the confession of sin is so important that we, that we look to the Lord and say, I have sinned. I, Lord, I'm sorry. I've done something wrong. There must be an acknowledgement of our sin. And it's a good thing. Don't worry. Because God wants to pour refreshing upon us. We know that Christ has done everything required to remove our sin from us and, and rescue us from that. But it, but it doesn't happen to someone who's unwilling to admit that I've done something wrong. You get it? I don't get to have a happy marriage. I don't get to have a, a deep, healthy, and intimate relationship with my wife if I'm just ignoring the stuff that I'm doing that hurts her. I have to say, sweetheart, I'm sorry. And this is what it looks like. I, I already said it. But I'm sorry. Please forgive me. So let's get this thing out of the way. Now it's not in between us any longer. But what next? What's, what comes next? I commit to no longer doing that anymore. Right? I change my think. I want to change what I'm doing. And it starts, right? Change your mind and you'll change your behavior. Scripture says don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the way, renew the way that you think 
about these things. And, and repentance is to about face, to change direction. I was, I, I've done it this way all my life. I watched my dad do it this way. His dad before him did it this way. And it's just all I've ever known. And yes, I'm saved. And I was joking with Karen last night about how when we were baby brand new, brand new baby Christians, zealous and on fire for the Lord, we, we were completely unaware that anything from our previous life could ever infect our, you know, our right standing with God, that I'd ever fall into anything I ever used to do. I was so set free. I was such a new creation. You know, I literally, I, I joked with her last night. I said, I didn't think, I wasn't angry for, for five years after I got saved. I didn't think I could ever get angry again. Then I got married and realized, oh, I brought some stuff with me into my walk with God. And that's the transformation that God wants to, that God wants to bring to all of us in our families, in our fellowship, we desire the people of Broomfield and the community, we want them to come and to find a family and a home and to encounter Jesus here. But when they come, how am I going to treat them? When they come in their sin, in their brokenness, unaware of the process of the cross, unaware of the of the. Of the of the journey, of, the, of the, way, the, the path out of that brokenness, and they encounter me. By the way that I treat them, you know, will we be ready for them when they come? Are we ready? And the answer, I think, is greatly determined by how much of my brokenness, how much of my problems and issues have I been willing to admit to God, to trusted brothers in the Lord, like iron sharpening iron, to the people in the family of God, especially to my wife, the places where, where I need help, where I keep doing these things. And I, to be honest, I don't know why. You know, I trust you enough, pastor. I trust you enough, brother in the Lord, to help me see what is going on. I really did think that I was as good at uh, analyzing myself as I was at analyzing others. I, I just didn't think there was anything wrong with me. Like, I could see, man, there's all kinds of stuff messed up with everybody else. And I'm, I thought, I, I, I was so naive to think that I'm just doing great. And, uh, whoo, uh, boy, that's, that's pretty far from the truth. Hopeless of achieving reconciliation with God on my own. And, uh, Let's go ahead and, and go to the solution prepared. Um, and we'll go ahead and jump to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. And I guess we'll, we'll, we'll glance at verse 15 first. Genesis 3, verse 15. Oh, Lord. Um, did you know that before there was ever a problem, God already had a solution? I didn't know that. I th kind of thought like, I kind of imagined like God created man, Adam and Eve, and, uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, 
in this glorious place with no sin. It was just a guy and his lady, just naked in the garden, free to eat of any tree, all except that one, and just hanging out with the Lord face to face. And then, you know, deceptive old serpent tricked poor Eve and Adam, and then sin entered the equation. And I just kind of imagined God was like, oh, what do we do now? I made this perfect place for them, and they messed it up with their sin. We've got to figure out some kind of thing, and maybe the outplay of humanity, you know, throughout the generations and the ages and centuries that God kind of eventually hatched a plan to, well, they're clearly not making it back to me on their own, so I guess I better step in and solve this thing. And boy, I tell you what, before there was ever a problem, look, solution prepared. Look at that, from the foundation of the world. The book of Revelation says that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. What does it mean that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world? Did you ever think about that? It blows my mind to think about. I don't understand. And, and we, I mean, I guess I go, well, God, you know, he's sovereign and he's, uh, you know, omnipresent, omniscient. So he's outside of time. So I guess what that means is that, you know, he knows the end from the beginning and, you know, to him a thousand days is like one day. And, and it's not really that like Jesus was actually slain at the beginning, but just that, you know, God exists outside of time and just knew, you know, that whole thing. But I, but I tell you what, we can see in God's interaction uh, with Adam and Eve and the serpent that uh, but this, was a, this thing was planned from the very beginning. Look at verse, verse 15. God is speaking, uh, excuse me, <coughs> God is speaking to the serpent. <coughs> he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. Check this out. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I like to say that he shall stomp on your head so hard that it will crush your head, Satan, and bruise his heel in the process. That is a prophetic, that's a first prophetic declaration in the very book of Genesis with the first man and woman pointing at Jesus Christ, the Messiah, at the very beginning. How many of us have looked at the Genesis account as a curse, right? We, <clears throat> man ate of the forbidden fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. He was allowed to eat from the tree of life and any other tree in the garden. But that but that, that uh, deceptive serpent comes in and he whispers to Eve, did God really say? Isn't that, the, isn't that what the enemy does? He, he'll whisper to us those two lies into our, into our ears. Did God really say? And we also know that in his temptation in the wilderness, while he was fasting, Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan. What did he say to Jesus? If you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. Throw yourself down from this high place, right? Those are the two things. Satan gets us to question what the Lord has decreed and who we are in Christ. Those are the lies that the enemy whispers. Did God really say, and if you really are the son of God? 
I've always recognized that as God's curse, that humanity is considered fallen apart from Christ. And that's because we are cursed, that the Lord has cursed us. That was what I believed. I thought that was what happened there. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But I've recently been amazed to learn the Lord did not curse Adam and Eve. The Lord did curse the serpent. Scripture says the Lord, the Lord cursed the serpent and he cursed creation. He cursed the earth, right? That was, a, that was a declaration of God's curse on the earth. But I imagine that when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, that that was our consequence, humanity's consequence and our curse. Hmm. Excuse me. But check this out. That was an act of mercy. Skip ahead to verse 22. Genesis 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. We all know the story of Adam and Eve eating from the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? They've become like one of us to know the difference between good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way, look at this, to guard the way to the tree of life. I always saw it as a banishment from perfect relationship with God and fellowship with God. I thought, I thought God was banishing sinful humanity from ever having interaction with Him, from ever having the right to come before Him as His children. That He was so, he was, he was so disappointed and so holy that sin could, no long, could not be a part of that relationship. That we were so dirty and sinful that we, we weren't allowed to interact with Him anymore. And, and thus, He had to cast us out of that perfect place. But it says right here, God wasn't casting them out from fellowship. He wasn't casting them away from, from the beauty of the Garden of Eden and the joy and the peace of that place. What was He doing? He was, he was preventing them from eating of the tree of life and thus being stuck in that condition forever. It says right there, the sword, the flaming sword and the cherubim were on guard to prevent them from coming back to eat of the tree of life because the Lord knew from the very beginning before there was ever a problem, the Lord had a solution. And God knew if man eats of the tree of life, now that sin has entered his heart and perverted him, he'll be stuck in this condition eternally. Isn't that amazing? And that to, and that to banish us, to, to remove us from, that, from, that, from the ability of doing that was an act of mercy. God mercifully removed humanity from condemning ourselves to be stuck in that fallen state forever because he had a solution in mind, didn't he? Mercy over judgment. 
mercy over judgment. Do you realize the Lord desires mercy over judgment from the very beginning? Mercy over judgment. Randy, when you mess up and say something insulting to me and it hurts my feelings, right? And I want to rise up and go, I can't believe anyone would talk to me like that. What's the Lord desire? Mercy over judgment, right? Mercy over judgment, that our relationships would be, would be defined by mercy. And we realized that nobody was more justified than God to cut off this sinful creation of his that disobeyed him and dishonored the only rule that he gave him. But he desired mercy over judgment from the beginning and the foundation of the world. God knew, Jesus knew, and willfully knew that he would step in in our place. Problem solved. Come on. Jesus Christ, the threefold solution. Praise the Lord. This is, this is our, our original scripture text, uh, 831. So, um, um, oh, no, uh, I'm sorry. Three, 321, yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't need to go there. But, but these are all, all of these are described in our opening scripture. That the threefold solution of Jesus is as our propitiation, our redeemer, and our justifier. This is the process that has been provided to us. And as Christians, we're all familiar with these terms and all of these things. But it is the good news unto salvation. And forgive me if I get really excited about talking about it, no matter what. I can talk about the propitiation, the redemption of our souls, and our justification every day of my life for the rest of my life and still do it with joy and excitement. So, so join me in that. So, uh, so let's see, as our propitiation, Jesus steps in on our behalf to quench God's wrath. To quench God's wrath. How could such a loving God allow so much to happen, so much evil, right? Well, if there really is a God, then why does this happen? You say that God, I've heard all of these, you say that God is loving and forgiving. How can you say, how can God be so wrathful towards sin? If he's so loving and forgiving, why was there two trees in the garden? Because without temptation, there is no character. Character cannot be established unless it's tested. And something that isn't tested can't be trusted, right? He didn't create robots or puppets. He created us with free will and without a decision to choose him or not. It's not really love, is it? God is the righteous judge of his creation. And as such, there is a wrath that, that he justifiably must apply towards our sin. Jesus Christ said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up for all, among men. And in that story, what Jesus is saying is that, is that uh, the Israelites in the wilderness were being cursed and, and tormented by serpents in their camp. And the Lord directed Moses to, to lift up the image of a serpent 
And when that image is raised up on a pole, the Israelites will look at that image and that curse will be broken off them. That it was, that it was when they, they literally, the Lord says, when they look at it, it was when it was elevated up and they looked at it, that that was broken off and no longer had power to torment them anymore. Jesus said, just like that, I'm going to be lifted up. He, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin. Jesus never committed a single sin. Perfect, blameless, and always tempted just as we were, yet found completely blameless in the sight of God. Never once committing a single sin, and yet became sin and was lifted up on a pole. For cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. And that when we look to the cross, that we would see the blameless, spotless Lamb of God as the image of our sin, becoming literally our sin and being cursed on our behalf, that we would become something, that we would become the righteousness of God. What a trade. You know, the book of Job says he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. We like to quote that sometimes when we're going through a hard season. You know, well, he gives and takes away. I love the Lord. Though he slay me, you know, I'm just hanging in there. I jumped into this walk with God and he's really pulling me through it. By the skin of my teeth, I'm holding on. You know, he gives and takes away. And I'm like, yeah, he gives his life and takes away our sin. My hardest day in Christ is better than my best day as a lost sinner without him. Can I just say that you are the saints of God in Christ Jesus? You're not, no longer, if you're in Christ, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, the Bible declares that you are saints, not sinners. Come on. He who knew no sin became our sin. Come on. That was a once and for all reality. In the Old Testament system, in the legal system, they required animal sacrifices, didn't they? And it was an ongoing process that one priest once a year would come into the Holy of Holies and make a propitiation with an atoning sacrifice for the sins of God's people. But not, not so anymore. That's a once and for all sacrifice that it doesn't require anything more from anyone, including Christ, to impute forgiveness towards the payment, towards the, the righteous wrath of God that must be poured out towards the sin of mankind. That's a once and for all reality that only the spotless Lamb of God could, could provide on our behalf, which I believe is why we will gather around the Lamb of God that was slain and for all of eternity declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty worthy to receive honor and praise. That it's the Lamb of God that we would be forever reminded of the great propitiation that the Lamb of God, God's only begotten Son, stepped in on our behalf to quench the Lord's righteous wrath. 
come on, bro. He's our Redeemer. Hallelujah. As our Redeemer, Jesus has paid the price to buy us back from the condemnation of our sins. He, he, so the propitiation was the, to, to, to step in and say, pour out your wrath, not on them, pour it on me. That's our propitiation. As our Redeemer, God, God pays that price, that there's a price that had to be paid for the sins that I had committed, and Jesus redeemed it. He stepped in and redeemed that. And I, my, one of my most beloved testimonies of redemption in all of Scripture is the book of Ruth. Just as Boaz redeemed Ruth, and it's 1115 already, we're, we're not going to go there, but I want to encourage you, read the book of Ruth. Read the book of Ruth, and when you read about Ruth, Put your name in her place and realize that it's the most beautiful depiction. It's the most beautiful story of a worthless person who felt like nothing. She was not a chosen person. She was a Moabitess. She, she makes a covenant with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and it's a beautiful covenant. It's, it's a wedding covenant. It's a covenant that we make with Christ, that it's not just Jesus come into my heart, I accept you, but there's a bit more than that. I would say that if that's, if that's the salvation prayer that you've prayed, I'd encourage you that there's a bit more to a covenant with Christ because hard times do come. And I declare to my wife that it's for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health until the day I die. I'm yours forever. That's where we see that covenant that Ruth makes with Naomi. It's so beautiful. It brings tears to my eyes. Where you go, I'll go, she said. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. I'll, far be it from me that I would ever break this covenant with you. And we covenant that exact way with Jesus Christ. And then that would sustain us through all the challenges of life that are sure to come. We actually have a place of covenanting one with each other in a like manner. That Tammy, it doesn't matter what happens because Christ is what brought us together. Because it's Jesus that has brought us into fellowship together. Therefore, what God has joined together in fellowship, nothing can separate. You don't get to come between me and Aaron. You don't get to, you know, not today, Satan. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't get a vote because it's Christ that binds us. And there, I refuse. I refuse that no matter if I'm having a bad day or if you're having a bad day, it doesn't get to have that, that power because we've covenanted in Christ. And Ruth just lays herself before Boaz humbling herself that maybe she just might find some favor before God. And he lavishly pours out this great redemption and, and brings her into a, a fullness of inheritance that she never could have earned on her own. It's the picture of, Jesus, of what Jesus Christ does for us as his beloved bride. And also very profound is that Ruth, uh, Ruth and Boaz, they begat a son, his name's Obed. Guess who Obed's son is? Jesse. And Jesse had a son too. Jesse had eight sons, I think, and the youngest was a little, ruddy, good-looking shepherd boy named David. 
Isn't it incredible who we know is in the lineage of Jesus Christ? And isn't it beautiful the Lord would take this, this lost Moabitess and say, that's who I want to put into the lineage of my son Christ when he comes to redeem the world. He tells the most beautiful redemption story through, Ro through Ruth, and she gets to even become a part of his lineage. You know, just like Rahab too. It's like the Lord, I just, I just see that the Lord delights in broken people. He looks down on them, and if I, if I look at people through the framework of my own thinking, I won't, I'll fail to recognize their value. And I want you to understand that the value of something, remember, the value of something is the price that's paid for it. Have you ever thought or, or said, I've been guilty of saying, you know, uh, with God, we're everything. But without God, we're nothing. You ever, you ever thought that? I've thought that over myself. Well, and, and we, we, we see these scriptures about walking in the Spirit, living in the, according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And I kind of think, like, I would kind of reason that, well, there must be something sinful that got to come along for the ride. Like, like the Lord saved my spirit. He redeemed my spirit, maybe my soul. But then there's that flesh, you know, that, that maybe that naughty part got to come along for the ride. And I'm just, oh, uh, you know, <laughs> there's just, oh, that, that, that part of me that pulls me away from God continuously. And uh, that's, that's not the case because Scripture teaches that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? To tell, when I say, oh, with God, we're great. Without God, we're nothing. Well, what does that mean about somebody who hasn't come to God yet? <laughs> Am I thinking that pre-believers are, are, are worthless apart from Christ? No, the, the value of something is the price that is paid for it. And I, can I just tell you that heaven went bankrupt to pay for you. That the only begotten son of God was the payment to redeem your life and my life. Hallelujah. That's my value. While I was still a sinner, that the Lord looked down on, on, on little Ruth, on little Rahab, on little Michael, the lost, confused, sin-sick, you know, broken young man and said, I, I paid for that, right? We know scripture says, for you were bought at a price. You are not your own. Now I'm his possession. I belong to you, Lord. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Come on. And we are justified. We're justified. So if we receive that, we know that we know that we receive it in faith. It's through faith that we receive this reality. It's through it's through a, a heartfelt belief and commitment that Jesus is my propitiation. That sin is awful and we don't make light of it. It's not okay. And I'd, I'll never look at you and slap you on the back and go, hey, we all struggle in that way too, you know. Part of the, part of the package, that's... That's not scriptural, that's not right. But you're not condemned in your sin. Nonetheless, it is serious. We take it seriously. We hear uh, and we say, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? 
That's not actually a Bible verse. I'd encourage you to think about it more. Uh, love your neighbor and hate your own sin. That if I'm keeping my eyes where they belong, you know, the only person that I can control is right here. <laughs> it's been 13 years. I think I'm just starting to realize I cannot change my wife. I can't change her, no matter how hard I try. It's not going to happen. But the Lord, we can change ourselves. We can control ourselves. Praise the Lord. If I believe that heartfelt belief that Jesus is my propitiation, that I, that I receive the redemption of my soul by faith, Jesus, you are my redeemer. Then I'm justified. Scripture says you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is the Lord, right? That he raised from the dead. Then you shall be saved. The, the, in the legal system of heaven, justification is, is what describes our salvation. That we are justified. And it's the image of a righteous judge sitting behind the desk and slamming down the gavel and declaring, not guilty, right? And if we're not guilty, what that means is we're not just not guilty. We are righteous. We are righteous. It's more than just not guilty. It's more than just washing you off and, 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 and stumbling along for the rest of the journey. It's a new creation. It's a new creation. Metamorphosis. That the old man died. And behold, God has made a new creation. And that new creation, believe it or not, is righteous. The Lord declares that you are righteous before me. If we sin, if we sin, if we sin. Can I say that your desires do not define you? That to desire something, does not, it, that's not, it's not a sin your, the, the desires that cause you to be tempted are not a sin. They do not define you. It's the desire when it's fully conceived that brings forth sin, right? And then the sin brings forth death. So, so just understand, the desire may come and go for whatever it is. It's different for everybody. Men deal with very similar stuff, ladies as well. These desires can come in, but we stand in the face of those desires. We don't go, oh, Lord, help me. Help me not desire those things anymore. They don't get, they don't get to vote. They're not a part of, my, they're not a part of my, my perspective. What does Psalm 23 say, right? Yea, it says, it says, you prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies when I'm besieged on all sides and surrounded, God goes, let's sit down. Let's, let's grab a bite. We're going to rest in this place. And I feel like there's a temptation to put my eyes on the enemies that surround me. But, it's, but that's, not, that's not why we sup. That's not why we fellowship in that place. It's, I'm looking, I don't want to look more at the enemy that surrounds me then I look at the one who sits across the table from me. And it's in looking and realizing that I'm not defined by my failures, my temptations, my desires, 
my shortcomings. That's, that's not my identity. I'm not a trying my best Christian who makes mistakes all the time and hang around me long enough and I'm, you know, <laughs> watch out. But I am a righteous son of God that has no separation between the Lord and I because he decrees that over me. And from that place of right relationship with God, I live and I move and I have my being. That it's by keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, that I would be able to, to move in power, in the power of God. Praise the Lord. And we'll just go back to the title slide and just want to encourage you to realize that as Jesus did with his life, as Jesus did, he says, he declares over us that you're my sons and daughters. And if you're my sons and daughters, then you're my heirs and you're my co-heirs with Christ to the full inheritance that is his. We're adopted into the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And though Christ ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, Scripture says we are seated in Christ at the right hand of God in heavenly places as well. That There is the reality that Jesus is no longer here in bodily form like he once was. He says, greater are the things that you will see and do when I send my Holy Spirit to you. That the work that Christ began, he said from the cross, he didn't say it has begun from the cross, did he? He said, it is finished. There's a finished work of the cross. There's a finished overcoming victory that becomes our starting point. And there's an outplay and there is a, there is a, there is an application, if I could say it that way. There's a way that the finished work of the cross may be applied to our communities, in our hearts, in our marriages, and it's, and it's, how does Jesus do that? I like to say, yes, Christ is in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, but he's still here too. You know he's still here? How has God made a way for the Lord to remain on this side of heaven? through his body, the body, Christ the head, but the body, the body remains. His church, he calls us his beloved bride, that we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, that on the cross when the blood and the water, what's that sound like? The blood and the water. My wife's, my wife's gonna be having a baby coming up, right? Blood and water, that there's a birthing that Jesus that Jesus gave birth to. And it was his body, it was his bride, his church and his ecclesia, the, the system by which God is able to apply his propitiation, his redemption, the justification of his beloved creation. And it's in and through you and I, in partnership with Christ at the center, right? All many members, all having different function, but one, one God, one head in Christ, living and moving. As the living declaration, the ambassadors of heaven, let's make sure that we don't just get saved so that we can make it to heaven. 
There's more that the Lord did to provide for us, not just to get us to heaven, but that heaven would get into us. And when we willfully lay down our own understanding, our own perspective, the framework that I, that, that I received from my family, the framework that I built on my own, when I choose, I'm not going to think this way about God's people. I'm not going to think this way about these problems that I see. But I'm going to stand knowing that I am. This might sound bold, but you guys, this is what the Lord declares. I am the solution of God in every arena of influence that God brings me into. And we all have different arenas of influence. You're going to reach a, a people that I'll never get to meet. Pastor Aaron can't do it all. <laughs> he can't. The leadership can't do it all. God has an assignment for us, and it's to bring... What, we don't need to be confused about what the will of God is. Jesus taught us what is the will of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boy, heaven's going to be great someday, isn't it? Where there's no sin, it's all perfect. We can sit on a cloud and play harps and, and get out of all this terrible stuff that we're in right now. Just hanging on and, you know, keep on keeping on and someday he's going to get us there, right? The Lord goes, oh, son, I want to be on earth now. I want heaven on earth as it, heaven on, as, on earth as it is in heaven. Is there pain in heaven? Is there sickness in heaven? Is there disease? Is there anger? Is there malice? Is there envy? Is there deceit? No, those things aren't there, right? So when I recognize those things, I go, this is illegal. This does not exist in the presence of God. I'm going to be your ambassador in this conversation with these people, and I'm going to bring your truth, your reconciliation, and your solution to this moment. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please, as we close? I do not want to assume that everybody here has had an opportunity or has made the decision to declare that Jesus Christ, will you be my Lord and will you save my life? Will you teach me to live for you? And will you make me one who is able to bring heaven that you can that you can pour through me God to bring redemption to others that I want to live for you I, I let's let's just be praying right now can we I, I'd like to create an invitation right now that if today if my sermon if our time in the Lord today has has pulled on your heart that you would make a, a new decision to receive salvation in Christ, or that you would recommit to the assignment that the Lord has called you to. I want to invite you. We'll just be praying for you. We'll be praying with you. We don't want to put anybody on the spot. We're not going to stick a spotlight on you or make you walk up here. But I want to invite you right now. We'll, we'll rest for a moment. And for, we'll, we'll give it 20 seconds. If you would like to commit to making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to knowing 
that when you die, you belong in heaven with God. Go ahead and raise your hand, every eye closed, every head bowed. Would anybody like today to be the day of their salvation in Christ? Just for 10 seconds, I'll wait. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So as no hands went up, I'll assume that we're all in the family, brothers and sisters. And I would, I would, uh, I would ask another question. I would ask that for the saved, born-again believers in the family of God, will you join me this morning to recommit that from today forward, we will ask you, Lord, we will consult the Holy Spirit before passing a judgment on whatever problems we encounter. We will commit to asking you, Lord, what is your solution for the problems that surround us? And we will commit to being your representative, to being your ambassador, to being the one by which you will apply your solution to all the problems in our life. Will you, will you raise your hand with me now and declare, I am committed to seeing God's solution in and through my life. How many would make that commitment with me today? I am committed to being God's solution. Hands up all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. Say these words with me, family. Lord Jesus, I commit to seeking your solution for every problem I encounter. And I thank you, Lord, that I am encountering these problems so that I may be your solution. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Amen. Wow. God, you're so good. So good. God made a way. Amen. Didn't he? Man, when there was no other way, he made a way for you and for me. So good. So good. Michael, thank you so much for sharing, you know, God's word. And, um, you know, I want to invite you, you know, to hang out and talk and have an opportunity to meet with them and, and, um, and things like that. But we're going to go ahead and, and pray a prayer of dismissal. And then, um, again, we just invite you to hang out. And for those that are online, man, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well. But, Father, we love you, and we do thank you for making a way. And, Father, we do ask that, that because of what you have done in us, that, Father, now you would as we know you will, equip us to accomplish what you've called us to do, to be that light, to be that salt, to be that, that individual that, that walks into a dark place and illuminates it because of who you are in us, because of what you have done in us and through us. Father, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you for this opportunity for the Campbells to come and and to be here. Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for direction in these areas. 
And Father, we know that your plan is perfect and it's good, and you will reveal it to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, thanks for being here. Hope you have a wonderful week. For those that are online, hope you're doing well. Hope to see you soon. God bless you. Have a great one.